0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. So today
1: we're going to spend uh, some time talking about the Holy Spirit, but before we do that, we have to finish just about five minutes
2: on Jesus, so I want to go back and
1: do that. Uh, Somebody here could just open us in a word of prayer it'd be
2: awesome. I could do that.
3: Oh, great. Thank you.
2: Lord, we're just grateful to be here today, giving us another day to learn and grow and see you for who you really are and, and how special and how much you love us. We just pray that you would give Wayne your words to speak and that our hearts and our ears, and our minds, and our hearts would be open to hearing your word and learning more about um, how precious Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit is our wisdom and our counsel. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Hey, can you close those doors, please? So,
1: um, yeah, I want to finish up talking about Jesus. We just read at the very end last week, so just give me a few seconds here with this. We're going to talk about Jesus' his second coming. So his second coming is going to signal his return to reign on the earth. Daniel 2 says, In the time of those kings, talking about the time at the end times, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another person or other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to to an end, but it itself will endure forever. So Jesus is going to come a second time to reign. And he's also going to come to judge sinful mankind. Second Timothy says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's going to come to reign and he's going to come to judge. So that's why he's his return is. Now, there is, um, let me just talk about this, let me see what I got here, let me just, so some people believe that Jesus is going to, um, about this millennial kingdom, I just want to talk about that for a second, there's three views of millennialism, millennial is the 1,000 year reign that Jesus uh, is spoken of, of in the Bible of his reign on earth. So there's a group of people that say, that we call amillennialists. Basically, they believe that the thousand years is not a literal time period. So they're kind of, remember we talked about allegorical and and, and, uh, uh, literal? Well, they see it as allegorical. So they see it as actually the whole period of the church, the church period, okay? And they see that the church is battling evil for whatever length of time that's going to be, from, from the day of Pentecost until the day of the Lord returns. And when He returns, He's going to set up His kingdom, He's going to resurrect the living and the dead, and He's going to judge, and He's going to give rewards, and all that's going to happen, and we're going to go right into the eternal state. Okay? So, um, another uh, opinion of this is called post-millennialism. It's talking about the fact that Jesus will come after the church era or the church period. To me, it's, it's a lot like our you know, because they also believe, post millennials, that the thousand year uh, years is also a figure of speech referring just to another long period of time in which the church, but in their sense, dominates victoriously, keeps going out forward, almost as if, and I'm going to overstate this. They're making the earth ready for Jesus to return. Okay? So they're so saying
2: that's now,
1: too? Yeah, that's happening now. And, yeah, I know. I know. And, <laughs>
2: they're up the wrong tree. And, <laughs> and they say that his
1: reign, yeah, that, that millennial reign, is happening right now, but he's not reigning on earth. He's reigning from heaven with the church and all the believers, you know. So, and then the same, just as I'm millennialist, I hope I'm saying this correctly. <laughs> It's going to come to a point where Jesus is going to come back, he's going to raise the living and the dead, he's going to give rewards, he's going to judge people, and the the eternal state's going to to go in, okay. But it's a very victorious, like I said, a very victorious, positive look at this. They see it as the church victorious. I think there's a little bit of truth in both. You know, it's a battle and there's victories, you know. So, but there's a third version of the Christ's return. And those are the people who are pre They actually believe that Christ is going to come prior to a real thousand year period. So they are the literalists. They look at the, the scriptures and they say, you know what? Said so Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem? He was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was going to be, you know, a virgin birth. He had a virgin birth. You know, so they, they believe that everything that is spoken about has got to be taken literally. So as a result, they see that Christ returns prior to a literal 1,000 year reign, earthly reign, and it interprets the passage literally regarding a lot of things. The rapture of the church. God is going to actually, Jesus is going to actually one day call out from heaven, and then, whoosh, gather up people to be with him. First those that died in Christ, and then those who are alive in Christ. Uh, there's going to be a literal seven-year tribulational period, okay? So they believe that's going to happen. They believe that uh, Christ is going to return at the end of that period, and then there's going to be a 1,000-year reign on the world, on the earth, and at the end, there's going to be a world conflict, Armageddon, followed by the victorious return of Christ and the eternal state. I said that wrong. He's already on earth, so it's not happening, but he goes into the eternal state, okay? Uh, And he is reigning on earth with a literal Jewish Israel kingdom, who is now the light of the world. And the world comes to them because they hold the truth, they hold the promises, they hold everything that God promised to Israel will happen. Now... It's really important to look at amillennialism and and (coughs) postmillennialism. They both kind of see a replacement theology. By that I mean they say that the church replaces Israel. So God's chosen people now are the church. Now, in the church they're Jewish people, but it's the church, Mm -hmm. Okay. the people who don't believe that don't believe it because they have a hard time believing that God promises something that he's not going to deliver, right? You know, so it's, you know, it's a little, you know, if, you, if you're asking me which I, which one I am, I'm definitely premillennial. okay? I believe it's literal, and I believe that it's going to happen. Now, sticky in all of that is when the rapture happens, okay? Is it really going to happen? I believe it's really going to happen. But it's when does it happen? Ah, say, well, there's no rapture of the church. It's just that Christ comes and, you know, he balances all, of, he makes all the judgments, he gives all the rewards. Uh, post millennialists don't see a rapture that's actually gonna come. But pre do see a rapture. And they say, yeah, there's gonna be this event where the church is gonna be gathered up to be with Jesus in the clouds. Jesus is not coming to the earth yet. So it's not His return, but what He's doing, He's actually calling us up. Okay? It's very interesting because when you look at Israel, Israel's kingdom is always on the, on the earth. The church's kingdom, everything the church has, all its promises are in heaven. Okay, so they, there's some differences. So the big thing with with uh, premillennialists, even though they all believe in a rapture, they are not quite sure when the rapture is going to occur. Does it occur before the tribulation? I'm sorry, I kind of, let me come back. Does it, does it occur before the tribulation starts, or at the end of the tribulation? Unless you're a riddle like me, I believe it's at the middle of the tribulation, <laughs> for a lot of very important reasons. I believe I can stand toe-to-toe with anybody, and I know nothing and I can pull out all the verses, and I say, see this, see this, oh yeah, what about that, I'll raise you up, and I'll you this one, you know. Because, uh, there's just a lot of evidence, I think, for a mid-trip uh, uh, rapture. But, I don't know, I have to tell you, uh, after studying this, and going through it, I have a feeling that most of us, is wrong, or most of us are wrong about most of it. <laughs> you know, but we're just trying to figure it out. All right, so... The second coming is not the rapture of the church. We just talked about that. And it's often referred to as when the Lord returns. Well, it's like more like when the Lord yells. You know, instead of saying, Lazarus, come forth. He's going to go, church, come forth. You know, and like, whoosh. You know, all this amazing stuff is going to happen. Uh, rapture is the gathering up uh, of the church universal from all time to meet with the Lord and Jesus in the air. The rapture will commence with those who have died in Christ and will finish with those in Christ who are alive when it occurs. Uh, Great passage in 1 Corinthians 15, and also I have here uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 17. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive... And our left will be caught up together, caught up, that's the rapture part, okay? Uh, To be with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So, this is what my eschatology looks like. I don't even know if I can explain it. (laughs) But, there is logic to it. So, you know, uh, here's the cross, here's the church period, you know, and we are waiting for the 70th week to happen, and the 70th week is actually the seven year period, okay? And Daniel will find that out. So, you you know, so anyway, I printed this out for you, you have it, you can look at it, you know, you can red mark it, like you're a teacher saying, that's wrong, that's wrong. Uh, Or you can say, wow, I never thought of that. and like I said, I mean, one of my professors said to me, there's theology you marry, and there's theology you date.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Date. <laughs> you know, so. But anyway, if you look at it, I would be glad to sit down with anybody at any time to go through this with you if you want to. Okay? You know, we sit down and have a cup of coffee or maybe ten cups of coffee. <laughs> okay. Any questions before I push on? All right, I also gave you uh, a a mathematician's odds of Jesus fulfilling prophecy. There's uh, the odds of him fulfilling eight prophecies, which is 1 in 10 to the 17. Uh, Dr. Stoner uh, considers 48 prophecies that were fulfilled. The odds of those by one person fulfilling all those is 1 to 157. That's a big number, considering they think there's 10 to the 79th electrons in the whole universe. So twice as many, twice okay. And mathematically, I think 10 to the 72nd is considered a mathematical impossibility. Mm. So this is really staggering, that one person should fulfill these, Jesus um, should fulfill all these things. And we come to the end of this portion of the of Nicene Creed, which is, and in one Lord Jesus Christ we believe in, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father for all worlds. Remember we said begotten didn't mean born, it means the one and only, the only one of its kind. The Lord is monogenes. Okay? Um, light of light, very God of very God was dealt with the And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. 318 guys sat around. They didn't have football or baseball or golf. And they thought about spiritual things. And they created a doctrine, a creed for us that we had used for over 1700 years. And people... Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, they'll look at this and they go, yes, we believe it." Catholics
2: that. recite this every Sunday at church,
1: yeah, or yeah. every Mass. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So.
2: They throw in
1: all of this, the Apostolic Church? So, church. let's get to uh, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to look at the deity of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit, the current work of the Holy Spirit in the world. go on, I wanted to say this about Jesus. Thomas said, show us the way. We don't know what the way is. Jesus says, I'm the way. And so Thomas said, "Um, well then show us the Father. And and Jesus was like, what do you mean show the Father? You're looking at Him, okay? And Philip was like, yeah, 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 but if you just show us the Father. (laughs) And Jesus goes, (laughs) How How long should they be among you and you not know that I and the Father are one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, everything that we've talked about God the Father, all of His character, all of His attributes, is true of Jesus. Okay? Now, what I want to say is that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. So, not the attributes You know, the God-like things that only God is. But His character, you and I are on a path moving towards that. And it's going to be, God's going to be chipping away at that and, and changing things in our lives because He wants us to look just like His Son, who looks just like Him. We're not going to make it in this life. But we should look over our shoulder and say, you know what? I'm different today than what I was yesterday. I'm more like Jesus. I'm more like me with Jesus than I was like me without Him. You know? It's all about Him. Alright, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most high God an angel answered to Mary and said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and there it is the power of the most high will overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of God the angel calls the Holy Spirit the most holy God the spirit is identified as God and of Christ So, you, however, are controlled, Paul speaking, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And then he says, if the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, all of a sudden he goes to the Spirit of Christ. So, he said he does not belong to Christ. So, the, the Scripture, the Spirit, is identifying himself with God the Father and God the Son Okay, It's this amazing trinity thing that we don't quite understand. Remember I said before when we talked about the trinity, that as a being, Wayne is human. As a person, Wayne is Wayne. I'm not like Claire, you know. As a God, as a God as a being is divine. As a person, he's Father, Son, and Spirit. That's as far as I'm I don't know what else to say. Okay, the Spirit's name is the name of God. The Gospel account of Matthew, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, that is grammatically incorrect. It should be in the names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is trying to say, no, we're the one. There's only one name. And our name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> we're, being, we're, we're one being that's three persons. Um, you know, maybe St. Patrick's Day we'll get a, a clover and figure it all out one day. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an emanation of God, He's not a power. So, how do we know that? Well, He has intellect. He thinks. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ears heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Okay? Well, the Spirit also has knowledge. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Okay? So, who knows the thoughts that are in me? I know the thoughts that are in me. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God's Spirit, that person, again, don't know how to explain it, but he is aware of everything that's in God. Remember, we talked about it, that we're not going to know everything about
3: God. We
2: will
1: never know everything about God. It says that the things given to you are for you and your children, But the things that are God's are God's forever. So there's a part of Him that we will know and love and embrace. And maybe even grow in knowing and understanding. You know, in Psalm uh, 27.4, I think it's David says, One thing I ask, this is what I seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Mm. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to meditate in his temple. I mean, I think he's saying, you know, heaven's gonna be nice, but where I want, I want a front row seat at the throne room. I just want to sit there and gawk and think about what I'm (coughs) seeing. Okay? Um, The Holy Spirit is not a power emanating from God. He is a personal personality adding a mind. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. There it is, the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit has emotions. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I messed up there. That's not the right verse. It talks about do not quench the Spirit. Do not uh, grieve the Spirit. It has emotions. Okay, I'll get the correct answer for you, uh, verse for you. He has a will. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Oh, well, when we get this gifts, it's about His will. It's not about what we want. Okay? So, the Spirit somehow is also part of creation. But now the earth was formless and void, this is Genesis 1, and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this is a picture of like a bird, just hovering over this mess that had no form or shape yet. So I'm walking down the street, going back to my office when I was in the toy Street in old Park, and these two nice ladies with their little bags are walking. And I knew they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and they spotted me and I was walking the same way. So, you know, they were in their way to heaven. So, they stopped and engaged me. And, uh, you know, blah, 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 and we're talking. And then I said, you know, you, you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. And they said, no, no, not a person. I said, so, look at this. And we happen to be going past the construction site. There's a hurricane fence up there. And I said, Do you think this hurricane fence has any feelings? They're like, No. I said, Do you think this, ho- this fence can think? No. Do you think that this uh, uh, fence has a will? No. Why not? It's inanimate. I said, Well, the Holy Spirit can think. The Holy Spirit has a will, and the Holy Spirit has feelings. I said, so that's in your Bible, because they have a different translation. I said, so wouldn't the Holy Spirit be a person then, and not just a power?
2: <laughs>
1: so, I mean, I don't know. You know they they walked away, you know, it's hard to say. Um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is also the inspirer and prime mover of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. For prophecy never had its origin with the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> I hope when you get done with this and you see how much the Holy Spirit is responsible for during this time of the church, <coughs> that we're amazed. I mean, like I said before, in the Old Testament, you can look at it, you can see the whole Trinity there, all the Trinity is there. But it seems like a God the Father, period. He's speaking to people. He's, you know, moving people and, and raising up people. I mean, it's just amazing. And then the Gospels come along. And the Trinity is there. But it seems to be a time for the role of Jesus the Son. And then we get to the book of Acts. And we see the outgrowth of the church. Starting from like twelve people to like five hundred to like three thousand to like you know, and it just goes And you see the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit just just flooding the church with power and direction and gifts and fruit and wisdom and, and you know, and purifying and it's just it's amazing what the Spirit's doing. You know, it's just a powerful, powerful time. And there's gonna come a time when it's going to be Jesus Christ time again, His role, not as Savior, not as Redeemer, but as King, as victor, as conqueror. Okay? And then somehow I think in the eternal, the, the eternal state, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to say, but I think they're all going to work together in a whole new way. I mean, I don't know, you know, but anyhow. So, What's the current work of the Holy Spirit? Well, in the world, okay, the work of the Holy Spirit in the world is He glorifies Christ. Uh, John said that Jesus said, He will glorify me, and He will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. So that he was saying that what the Holy Spirit was going to do was going to take everything that Jesus had brought to them, and He was going to redisclose it to them, and He was going to bring glory to them and to the world. Uh, about Him in the world. Uh, He discloses truth to His disciples. When the Counselor comes, Jesus called Him the Counselor, uh, the Parakaleo, the one who comes alongside, uh, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. So He will bring the truth, He glorifies Christ and He will bring the truth Uh, to, to to his church, to the world. Um, Remember too that I said that um, for us, truth is a person. It's not a proposition, it's not a principle, it's not a postulation, it's a person. And because of that we can know the truth, and the truth can know us. Because of that we can love the truth, and the truth can love us. We can have a relationship with truth. That's so different. You know, the, the Aristotle and Socrates—they looked for the logos. That's what they called it. The logos. It was the the one the one sentence that that the entire universe was 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 like um, guided by. Okay, that one little bit of knowledge. When Jesus came, and John says. He called Himself, the Lord of us. I'm it. I'm the one thing that the whole universe is guided by. And that's who we follow. That's who we, and that's who the Holy Spirit testifies to and glorifies and gives truth to. Okay, in the world, the Holy Spirit convicts the world, okay? When He comes, He will convict the, the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So he convicts the world. We can't do that, but the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit will, who abides in you, can convict your next door neighbor. I mean, you could just smile at him, and they could get convicted. I mean, you know, you could you could just don't have to say anything. I was uh, there was a guy that uh, I knew that. uh, had been shot in the shooting that the mass shooting that we in, he was paralyzed. He he came over to our office one day and he went out to lunch with them. And after lunch was over, he slammed his hand down on the table. And he goes, I've been watching you for over a year, you haven't made any money, you guys are full of joy. <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, we just had a meeting today about how we're gonna close our business. He thinks we look good. We must look great before, you know. And he goes, I know it's got something to do with Jesus. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to become a Christian, but I want to know everything I need to know about Jesus. Well, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. I didn't feel joyful. But I guess I looked joyful. I, mean,
2: I don't know. But he saw it.
1: The Holy Spirit convicted him. I didn't say anything. I wasn't even, I mean, I was thinking about witnessing. We had prayed and all that stuff, you know. But you know, like, you know, it's like everybody else, okay, if you want to know, have a about Jesus. Well, he did. Okay. So he empowers his witnesses. Acts says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, he pours out his power and guess what? He's got more to pour out. He illuminates truth. In other words, he not only says, here's the truth, it's like, oh, the light bulbs go on. Mm -hmm. I get it, you know, or at least a part of it. Mm -hmm. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Mm -hmm. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So when the Holy Spirit comes in you, I have to say, you know, I I grew up uh, Catholic and uh, religious Catholic, I'd say, and you know, I mean, I, we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, you know, and stuff like that, and, and I liked it, I, I enjoyed it, you know, it felt good to, to pray those prayers. Oh my gosh, when I got saved, I went back to church, and we said the Holy, the, the, our Father, the Lord's Prayer, I was like, holy, what is in that? It's amazing! I was like, I was like, all of a sudden it was like the same words, but it was a different prayer, you know, so I mean, he, he illuminates the truth to us. And He does that in ways that we don't get like blown away or like, you know, a canary drinking in a, a fire hydrant. You know, He just keeps feeding us. Keeps giving us a little more understanding. Um, the current work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. So He works in the world and He works in the believer. He regenerates and renews believers. Scripture says He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit.
2: Uh,
1: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, Jesus told Nicodemus, The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the new birth, new life, new creation. He not only gives us a new future. He takes the past that's full of garbage and gives us a new past. Because now, our past is the life of Jesus. And there's no garbage in Jesus' past. So, I had a friend, my partner, we, we had a guy by the name of Steve Thompson. He was one of the He was the chief uh, chaplain over at the prison here in Chicago. Did great work there. Um, He actually had killed his wife. Uh, He was in um, Japan, he was in the service, and he and his wife were on drugs. Something happened, he went nuts and killed her. And he was in prison there. They didn't have... they didn't have... uh, executions there, and because he was an American citizen and military, he could only be in prison for seven years. During those seven years, he came to know Christ. And he started serving in prisons after that. He was in our offices, and he just was kind of talking about now how he, he took a life. He took a life with someone he loved, and it was just really painful for him. And my partner said to him, he goes, you know, he goes, what's eternal life? And he goes, well, no, it's like, living forever. He goes, he says, eternal life is not only living forever, future, it's forever past. You have eternal life, and eternal life is Jesus, so you don't have your past anymore, you have His. That murder does not exist in your past anymore. There's a guy, big black man, he just, oh! He goes, that's something to preach about.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, it just, it just released them. Um, yeah, regenerates, renews the believer. Unifying believers with the, with the Spirit. So not only are we join to God, we're joined to each other. The Holy Spirit does that. It says, uh, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you." So he said in all of us, you know, he's like, it's like Oswald Chambers once said, "Um, we are united like little uh, tidal pools on the beach. He says, not by digging little channels from one tidal pool to another. He said, but when the tide comes in, the whole ocean comes over us. Mm. And we're united together in that ocean. That's what it is with the Holy Spirit and God. He's like this amazingly massive, bigger than we can imagine, ocean. And He just comes over us. And we're still there. We're still a little tidal pool, but now we're in the ocean. And we're united with each other with Him. Just a powerful, powerful picture. Okay, Unified Believers, um, we are all baptized in one spirit into one body and we're all given one spiritual drink. That's 1st Corinthians 12. He identifies us with Christ's death and resurrection. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized also in His death? If you have been united with Him like this in his death, we are certainly also united with him in his resurrection. We're also, uh, you, uh, we're also indwells us, uh, making us the body, his temple. Uh, do you not know that you are uh, your body is the temple of the spirit who is in you? Yeah, I'm always amazed that God created a temple in Jerusalem. It was made out of stone. It was immovable. It was built in on one place. Then God says, you know, that's a great picture of the temple, but that's not the picture I want. I want to make living temples. I want to make temples made out of flesh and bone. And I want to make my temple to go anywhere, a mobile temple. And not only that, but each of those little temples is like a brick in the big temple. And I not only indwell each one of them individually, but I indwell all of them together. And they form this massive temple together of glory to me. What do you think it's so far? Any thoughts? Any reactions? I feel like I've been underestimating
3: the Holy Spirit. <laughs> not realizing how incredible He is.
2: Mm.
1: So the Holy Spirit also seals believers for redemption. Having believed, you were marked with him on the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, Ephesians. So we're sealed. You know, it's like double zip lock. You know, one zip is Christ, another zip is God the Father. It says that you know, we're held in hand of Christ and then he's held in God so it's like double held and we, it, it says that no one can take him out of Jesus hands and and then Jesus says that no one can take him out of my father's hands so it's like we are really held tight uh, he fills the, the Holy Spirit fills the believer we're still talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer uh, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the Holy Spirit I just wrote a couple pastor friends of mine this morning, because I was praying for pastors together this morning, and, and I, I wrote them, and I said, I just want you to know, I was just thinking about you, Paul says that he is being poured out like a, a drink offering. I said, today, I just want you to, I want you to just let the Holy Spirit pour you out. Mm. Be freely poured out, because you're being freely filled. The more you pour out, the more is poured in. You know, so just... Let the Holy Spirit have you. Um, He empowers the believers to live obediently. Uh, Romans, Paul says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nation, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit. He gives us the ability to obey. (coughs) Our flesh likes to obey, believe it or not. It likes to look really good. What it doesn't like is having the inside (coughs) transformed. It hates that. So a part of our obedience always needs to be, what am I becoming? And not just what I'm doing. Be also careful. What are you becoming? What is an obedience of being? Not just an obedience of doing. Uh, the current work of the Holy Spirit <coughs> empowers believers to combat the flesh. So He enables us to beat our old nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not know... Uh, I'm sorry, so you do not do what you want to want, what you want. So He empowers us. He, he brings to... Yeah, I have to tell you, a lot of people talk about spiritual warfare. <clears throat> okay? The Bible says that our wrestling, that what we do is we wrestle with the devil. But when it talks about warfare, it talks about our spirit. Warring against our nature, our old nature. That's warfare. Um, the Holy Spirit guides believers, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death. The mind of... a controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. You know, whenever we find ourselves frantic and anxious because of something, we should kind of take a step back and go, am I being guided by the Spirit? Is there some place where I've gotten off, you know, and I got like one foot on the path and one foot off, you know, do I need to like just recalibrate you know, maybe that will bring you the peace that you need. Uh, he produces fruit in the believers. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's I love it that it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. We get all of these. They're one fruit. It's kind of like they're a clump of grapes. You know? I mean, yeah, there's lots of different grapes, but it's just like one clump, you know. We get, the, we get them all. They're all part of us. They're all in us. You know, and they, I had a friend who was a, a, a Pentecostal pastor. And he said, I get tired of, you know, husbands and wives coming to my office. And the wife said, the Lord told me that my husband needs to, you know. And the, the guy's going, well, the Spirit of God told me that my wife should, you know. <laughs> He goes. I'm sitting there, going. They're they're bickering through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I don't see the fruit of the Spirit in either one of them. He says, "I wish that we would get all excited about the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts will take care of themselves." You know how many people? I I have a friend who goes to the Charismatic Church, and great guy, great church, but he is—he just feels like half a person because he can't speak in tongues. And I'm like, oh, please, there's other gifts. I don't speak in tongues. I've had some pretty amazing experiences with the Spirit. You know, but they're really not that, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that people can't do that. It's just, I'm not looking for it. It's not what, that's not what God's given me. That's not what the Spirit has given me. So what's the Holy Spirit do in the church? It's His work in the church. He gifts the church according to His will. So there are like four pass, four main passages, First Corinthians twelve, Romans 12, 1 Peter four, and Ephesians four, are the four basic passages that have lists of different gifts, um, and and it's really important because there, I mean it's, you know there's the whole Trinity is together working in gifts. If you look at First Corinthians twelve four, I think that's it. And so it's really important to see that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. Jesus directs the ministry of those gifts. And then God the Father makes the effect with the results of those gifts. So they work together, even though the Holy Spirit is definitely the one who, according to His will, says, you know what, Don? You really need to be a leader. Now I know that you feel like you're the least and all the nations, but I, you have to believe what I say about you, and not what you think about yourself. Ah, yeah. Okay, he, he's the bond, that binds the church together in peace. I'm sorry, for the common good, let's go up to that. He gives the church for the common good. Now, to each one is the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You can't use generosity on yourself, You can't use teaching on yourself. You can't use shepherding on yourself. The gifts are given and they can only be expressed for someone else. Isn't that amazing? That's that's amazing. That's stunning to me. And and then the Holy Spirit also has the bond of the church, bonds the church together in peace. And it's kind of, this is like, it's just assumed that you know that you have it and He wants us to protect it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope. And then there's more that goes on with that verse. So the Spirit gives us a unity. It's the unity of the Spirit. I think it's the unity of the Trinity. The Trinity has never looked around. The Father has never had a second thought about the Son. The Son has never been concerned about what the Spirit had to say. Uh, They've always worked together. They've always supported each other. They've always thought the best of each other. They've always um, empowered. I I mean, I don't know what I'm saying, but they were always there for one another. And I think that we're to be here for one another. And He gifts us so that we have that that common good um, uh, perspective. So when I see something or somebody, I'm like, oh, you know what? I've got this, but it would be good for all of us if I shared it. <laughs> Instead of just for me. So. So, we come to the end of the road here with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Nicene Creed it says, And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who together with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, and who spoke through the prophets. So. Um, obviously I didn't get into any of the controversial areas or gifts, but um, I don't think they have to be controversial. I have my opinions. You'd be glad to listen to them if you want. to. Again, have a cup of coffee, but um, what did you hear? What would you take back and tell somebody that you've heard today? That's important. What would you say to your neighbor? Say, you know what, you're not... I know that you probably don't think about this stuff, but man, I just heard this thing about the Holy Spirit. I never thought of that. Did you ever know that? Or maybe a person that's a friend here at church. You know, I just heard something and, and gosh, I I don't know if I understand correctly or, or I've never thought of this before. What would you tell somebody that you heard today about the Holy Spirit?
3: It uh, basically it transforms your life. I mean, um, the moment that you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you and he, and he changes you. You're you're no longer the same. The old has passed, the new has come. Yeah, yeah, And when the old leaves, the new comes and that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's what transforms the person. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, we can't transform ourselves. You know? Transform is a great word. I know that I often say change. And it's not change because anything that can change will change back. But transformation goes from one state to another state and it can't go back.
3: Like the cocoon and yeah. the butterfly.
1: Butterfly can never go back to being a, a caterpillar. Cataclysm. Yeah.
2: What else? I just feel like he's so for us in every aspect of our lives, you know, like, yeah. I like that we're sealed in the spirit, that that's firm, and it's not going to change. I think so many people in other faiths and out there are very insecure. I remember talking in the Amish community. Yeah. You asked... We were at one of the Amish stores
1: near where we go in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Share what you said to him. I the was a carpenter, and really nice man. We had talked to him maybe once or twice before, and I said, you know, I said, I think about you. What I pray for you. I'm a pastor. And he looked at me. He goes, pray for what we're all praying for. And I was like, oh, I go, what's that? Did I get to heaven? Mm-hmm. And oh, I just broke my heart.
2: And eternal insecurity. Inter- mm-hmm.
1: and, and eternal insecurity. So, um, they live, their Holy Spirit, their convicting power is the community. Mm-hmm. The community holds them accountable. Yeah. Which is a good thing. It is. But without an understanding of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a dominating thing. The Muslim community holds itself accountable. Um, Many communities do that. Um, So it's not that accountability is not important, like I said, but it's it's something that has to be under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Next time I get together, I'm trying to find this thing that the Holy Spirit does when He convicts people, Mm. Uh, that's different than Satan accusing us. Mm. And it's amazing, they both do the same things, for different reasons. I'll see if I can find that from my school days. Okay, well, thanks so much for putting up with all this head
3: talking here. So, man, a
2: lot. You guys should be. At Ephesians, verse was 430 instead of 43. Oh, okay. You were only off by a digit. <coughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I try to go
1: through this and I find it. Because all. You know, a lot, lot of verses. Taking this out of a lot, yeah. Arch, could you
3: close that hand? Sure. Good Father, thank you for today, Lord, and for your blessings, Lord, and bringing us all here. And Lord, as uh, um, we learn from Wayne and through your Word, and <clears throat> as we learn today, your Spirit, Lord, that indulges each believer, and empowers us, and gives us strength, gives us encouragement, gives us joy, and um, And and literally controls our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, that you've you've changed our lives and that um, you dwell in us. um, You're there daily uh, through the ups and downs of life. And um, God, just be with each one here and just guide us and direct us throughout this day. Lord, uh, Father, even as we, we leave the church today, that we can be a blessing to someone and um, they might see something else and ask what is the hope that is in us and that we might be able to uh, know that it's Christ, Christ that dwells in us. And we thank you, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you
1: know, just before you go, I, I, have to remind, I forgot that we're next two weeks we're off, okay? Uh, so we will return uh, March 13th, this Sunday. We'll talk about humankind, we'll talk its anthropology, biblical anthropology basically. Uh, we'll talk on March 20th, the second Sunday, about the bad news versus the good news. So we'll talk about so it's soteriology, it's God's sovereignty and his accomplishments and his applications as it regards salvation. On March 27th, the third Sunday, we're going to talk about the church. And uh, on April 3rd, uh, that's the Sunday before uh, Palm Sunday, we'll talk about the distinction of the church, how it's different than Israel. We'll talk about the, the who's responsible in the church, who's going to be held responsible. So we're talking about the officers of the church, and we're also going to talk about the ordinances or the sacraments of the church that we practice. And then I'm going to talk about something that no one talks about when they talk about Please, they ask, uh, uh I'm sorry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Ecclesiology, thank you. It's, the church is actually, the word church is actually from a German word. The Greek word is ecclesia, which the Spanish people call yeah. iglesia. And um, it, ek means to be out, kaleo means to be called. So we are, actually, the church's name is the called out ones. We're the ones that are called out. So, uh, one of the things that no one talks about, and Pastor Adam started talking about last Sunday, is that one of the things we're called out to is suffering. That's that's the way it is, but it'll be worth it, I'm hoping. (laughs) (laughs) All All right, thank you everybody